I do invite you to turn or scroll with me to Matthew chapter 7. So we are preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first recorded discourse, if you will. Uh, It is notable that Jesus begins his very first sermon with these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's how he begins. We said in chapter 5 that there was a key verse, which I would put as verse 17. After the well-known Beatitudes, uh, there was a question that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, we know would have of him, which is, are you going to use Moses and the prophets as your straight edge? Is this guy who's never been to seminary going to keep our traditions and so jesus expecting that question gives an answer he says don't think that i've come to abolish the law and the prophets the hebrew scriptures and they like that answer but they were not expecting what he said next in the same sentence He said, actually, I will not only teach you, I will fulfill them. I will show you that Moses and the prophets ultimately were speaking about me. When Isaiah in chapter 53 would give his beautiful servant song, that's me. When Micah said that there is someone whose days are of eternity and he would be born in Bethlehem, but not the big Bethlehem, the little Bethlehem, that's me, 500 years before I came. When Isaiah would say that there was a baby that would come, that would be born, whose name would be mighty God, who would be born of a virgin, Ladies and gentlemen, he said, specifically to you in the back, to the Pharisees, that's me. When your prophet Zechariah said that God would deal with sin in the land in one day, in one day, that's me. It's all speaking of me. They didn't really like him, to be honest. Because of a few little encounters he had had prior to that. But for sure now they hated him. Our control verse for chapter 6 was verse 33. Everything flows out of this concept. Seek first the kingdom of God. In Christian living, if we would set our thoughts and our sights on the kingdom of God and live accordingly and prioritize according to kingdom values, everything flows out of that. That chapter six can be summed up in that one statement. Turning now, now remember, we blink an eye, we're already done with chapter six. Now we're turning to chapter 7, and there's a theme, there's a key concept that Jesus develops in chapter 7, and it's this. Judgment. This is extremely important. 
Because many people would like to look at the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, these are nice platitudes. These are 10 ways to make Colin better Colin. Live this way and you'll be a better person and you'll love humanity better. All of those things, of course, are true, but it's not the point. And Jesus will bookend this sermon with the most piercing teachings on judgment. In fact, the most terrifying words, in my opinion, in all of Scripture come essentially at the end of this sermon. So chapter 7 begins one key concept being judgment. I want to say to begin with that there are different ways in which Scripture speaks about judgment and it's worth reviewing those very briefly. The first one would be this. Judgment where eternity is in the balance. Acts chapter 17, when Paul preached at Mars Hill, he said that God has placed all judgment in the hands of one, and that is Jesus. And as a result, God commands all men everywhere to repent. When we think of the great white throne, we see eternity in the balance. Revelation chapter 20. Uh, Peter speaks to this as well. In First Peter chapter 4. He talks about the living and the dead. All encompassing. Secondly now we're going to refine our focus. In regards to judgment pertaining to believers in Jesus Christ. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, amongst other places as well. And I will labor to emphasize this is not a question of where we will spend eternity. This is primarily, really, a place of judgment for Christians, but rewards. This is not determining where we spend eternity. Our faith and our trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are justified, forgiven in his sight. However, we ourselves will stand before our Savior and give an account for our life. And that ought to be a tremendous motivation, inspiration, but a control in our lives, knowing that we will give an account for our lives. The gifts that God has given us the opportunities that he's given us, how have we used them to serve him? A third way that we'll highlight this morning in which judgment is spoken of in the New Testament, we'll call this a temporal judgment. And again, this is for the Christian. When we celebrate communion, when we observe communion, I will often read or always read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul very specifically says, don't do this lightly. Do not just do this out of rote. Because you're celebrating the body of Christ, the blood that he shed. And he says that there are some who have been afflicted among you and even died. Through persistent disobedience and such. There are times when the Lord does discipline us. That is our birthright. 
the Lord chastens or disciplines those whom he loves. So I just want to put that out there uh, for our consideration. Our, our text this morning is Matthew chapter 7, the first six verses. And here's what we read. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is, in fact, the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take that little speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs uh, what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs or swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So here we have a tremendous teaching that is very piercing from our Lord. And like I said, we will develop this theme all throughout chapter 7. You see, some people will look at a statement like this through the lens of their overall understanding of the Sermon on the Mount and view it more as a platitude. Kind of like do unto others as you would have done to you. Look, if you don't judge other people, if you're not judgy, well, then you're going to be spared that as well. Well, there might be an element of truth to that, but that's not what he's speaking to. Remember, this is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is preaching to us. His words are life, they are truth, and they are piercing, they are convicting. There seems to be from this statement a divine correlation between our experience at the judgment seat of Christ and how we conduct ourselves in life. I've said it many, many times before. It is inconceivable to me that a Christian, one who is born again, who has tasted the grace of God, who has experienced the love of God, who is forgiven of his or her sins, would retain an attitude of judgment towards others. Now, we're going to qualify that statement as we go on. But what the cross does for us, surely, it humbles us. Because we have to come to that place through our poverty in spirit. Where we acknowledge our own sin and we see to some degree the enormity of our sin before God who is thrice holy, who is almighty. And as Revelation shows, we see the lion, we hear the lion, but we turn and there's the lamb who himself took our sins upon himself. 
who died in our place, who suffered in our place, not merely a good and a righteous man, but the Son of God who appeared, who showed up in Bethlehem to destroy the works of the devil. But allow us to continue here. We are explicitly told throughout the New Testament to judge matters. This is not saying to the Christian that we should just stand back and say, well, whatever anybody wants to do, truth, that's your own thing, deal with it. Not at all. Jesus many times, of course, said, beware of false prophets. Most of the epistles are written to this end. Jude, Second Peter, for example. John tells us to test the spirits. So we are indeed to judge what is right by the grace of God, by the truth of God, using the word of God as our straight edge. But there is a difference between correctly judging matters by the word of God and having a judgy attitude towards others. To looking down our nose towards others. So we have this word of wisdom that is given to us. He says, do not judge. For you, for the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. People have viewed these passages in slightly different ways. It's my understanding that he's speaking now to his followers, to a believer in Christ. We know that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not with eternity in the balance, but as an examination of our own lives. And it seems to me that we would do well to learn, to grow in grace, and to show grace to others, and not have this attitude of judging others at every turn. He surely had in mind the Pharisees. Remember chapter 6, he's using them as as his backdrop the entire time, particularly in chapter 5 as well. You've heard it said, your religious leaders have told you this, but I tell you. You see, there's a chasm between what they're telling you and what the truth is and what the heart of God is. So surely he has in mind the attitude that the Pharisees brought to the table. What they exuded to others. Having this self-righteous attitude. Very judgmental. But the truth is, as we read the New Testament, that can be pervasive even in the church. Even in believers. And so over and over and over again, Philippians 2, we're told to live with humility one towards another. We're told to consider our Lord Jesus Christ who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself of nothing, was found in the form of a servant, and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's our example. 
Judge matters rightly by the word of God, but do not be hypercritical or judgment or judgy of those around you. And third, the famous statement that we're all so well aware of. The imagery is so obvious. Jesus tells us, listen, if you're going to have a judgmental attitude, if you are going to be hypercritical of those around you, if you are always going to be finding fault in others, if you are always going to be looking ready to pounce on other people, he calls out our own hypocrisy. He calls out that spirit, that pharisaical spirit, that spirit of self-righteousness that props us up, that considers ourselves to be superior and better than those around us. He says, look, if you are considering yourself to be the person appointed to be nitpicking those around you, he says, allow me to, to show you what, you're, what you look like, what, what you're doing. Clearly, he has in mind an attitude of those who are judgy towards others. He says, you see, you're, you're, you are trying to be hypercritical. You are waiting to show other people their faults. But you see, in reality... What you might want to do is this. I I should have brought a picture. When this building was being constructed, the metal beams that go across, you can see some of them, they're called pearls. You can see some of them uh, purling. You can see some of them up, up above you. But this entire building is built on a steel frame. And Jesus says, you know, you might want to call a crane to assist you in removing this beam that is right in in your eye because you're going after a very small detail in the brother next to you, but you might want to get that beam taken out of your own eye so you can see clearly, a little more clearly as you judge the guy next to you. That imagery is well known. And Jesus calls it what it is. It's hypocritical. That's just hypocrisy. So as we continue in this chapter, I'll labor to say a few things. Judgment, as Jesus is speaking to it. He is not telling us to not judge what is right or wrong or determine based on the straight edge of God's word. Because that would contradict essentially the rest of the New Testament that follows. What he is speaking to is an attitude. And that's why Paul spoke to this as well in Philippians 2. Have the same attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus. You see, I can, through a spirit of humility, note something that I believe God wants you to deal with in your life. But let me tell you something. Even though I carry the the title pastor, I am so careful whenever I have had to do that. Because I know full well the sinfulness of Colin. I do not want to be a hypocrite. You see, grace trains us to follow after righteousness. 
But as we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is a humility that has grown in us as well. Because we know there, but by the grace of God, go I. So Jesus is speaking very clearly to an attitude of judging others all the time. Let's look at his final statement. Because we cannot understand the previous verses without seeing this verse as well. Because this verse helps us to understand what Jesus is really and truly and actually driving at. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Verse 6. What Jesus is calling for here is good judgment. He's telling us as his followers to use good judgment, to use sound wisdom on a number of different levels. First of all, to know our audience, to know to whom we are speaking. There are people who know the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people who don't. And that ought to help you consider what you will be speaking to said individuals about. May I recommend that by and large, if you're speaking to someone who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps you should limit or at least focus any discussions with them about this thing called justification, what it means to be born again, to be saved, to have our sins forgiven. When we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus engaged different people, different audiences In different ways. And that governed what he said and how to those people. So Jesus here is speaking about judgment in a multiplicity of ways. He is helping us to see that we dare not, as his followers, be known as those people who are judgy towards other people. Don't be a hypocrite. Just don't do that. Because remember, what's true about you really prevents a lot of what we would like to say in certain circumstances. But he is absolutely not, by his last statement, telling us to abandon any sense or desire to judge rightly, to judge matters rightly, to stand on the word of God and the truth of God in all situations. A very timely word for his people as we follow Christ. And perhaps I could tie it together with the theme for this morning of Mother's Day. To moms and dads, to uncles, to grandparents. The need that we have today to know the truth, to speak to the truth. To know that there actually is, contrary to what all of our people are saying out there, there actually is right and wrong. And you're not the judge of what's right and wrong. You don't set that. God 
sets that. So we need to, first of all, seek to see what God says on any given matter and then submit ourselves to what he says, not what our little brain says or what our friends are saying or the experts that are out there. It is the crying need in this generation. And I will say this with my mom watching, I think. She did a tremendous job in founding the four of us on the truth of God. On teaching us scripture when we were young. And as we got older, in my case, withholding my driver's license from me for a year. Because she did not think that my attitude was where it needed to be. You see, that's what scripture speaks to over and over and over again. It's not just what you do. It's how you do it. That matters. So I commend these truths to you this morning. And I'd like to take just a moment of quiet reflection. As I close out in the word of prayer in just a moment. With every head bowed and eyes closed this morning. We've walked through this morning what truly is a very challenging passage. I commend it to you this week to reflect upon it, to ask the Lord to teach you things, to apply it. My prayer for myself and for us, for Durwood, is that we would always be good news to those around us. That we would learn to balance judging what is right, but also extending grace. Speaking to that which is right and true and pleasing to the Lord, but doing so in a spirit of humility. As the scripture says, speaking the truth in love. Our sincere prayer always is if, that, if there be one person with us here in person or hearing the sound of my voice later who has not put their full trust and faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That they would be arrested of their need before God. That they would see that they cannot solve their problem alone by their own strength, by their own efforts, by their own religiosity, but rather come with empty hands and receive the free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, believing that the Lord Jesus indeed laid down his life, suffered and died, was buried, and rose again. My prayer for each of us is that we will walk sincerely before the Lord, 
that we will have the constant reminder that we will indeed give an account of our lives before the very one who gave his life for us. That should invoke within us a sober spirit, a spirit of thankfulness, and a determination to say no to sin by the power of the Spirit. To love our neighbor even and particularly when it doesn't come naturally. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. How can we say thank you enough for the gift of eternal life, of salvation? Oh Lord, you are fully aware of who we are and you sought us and you rescued us. Father, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus, to seek and to save that which is lost. When we consider even that that pressure point in Gethsemane, where he sweat drops of blood, knowing full well the culmination of why he had come, when darkness was coming. We are fully mindful of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Oh, but we rejoice of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus submitted himself to your will, Oh, and what a beautiful thing that Christ was buried and resurrected in a garden as she mistook Jesus for the gardener. Lord, all throughout Scripture in so many ways, in so many different levels, you show us that you have a plan. You're working it out. Thank you even for that very specific garden motif in the New Testament that correlates to the Old Testament, it shows that you are at work. Oh, Father, give us wisdom in knowing your word, knowing how to judge right from wrong, to be resolved to live accordingly and to speak up when called upon, to not be silent about the silliness that we see in our culture today, how frivolous we are with your truth. Help our lives and our words to be different. But sprinkle us with your grace that we would speak the truth in love, that particularly with one another, that we would exude grace and help one another to follow you even further. 
Lord, we give you thanks and praise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.